Well, thank you. I don't know if there's too much to add after that. But anyway, let's, let's think about this. And as, as Beck said, we're going to be thinking about the purpose of Jesus. And uh, we're in the middle, if you're visiting with us, we're in the middle of a vision series. You can see that on the back of the handout there. And Pete has been taking us through the vision of Mary Creek and reminding us and refreshing our thinking about the vision and our recommitment to the vision of this church, which has been fantastic. And uh, here I am in the middle of the vision series and not exactly doing a vision, one of the vision talks, but hopefully saying something that will contribute a little bit to our thinking about our vision. And one of the things I understand, and people use the lingo in different ways, but you can talk about the mission or purpose of a church and you can talk about the vision of a church on the other hand. And I understand, I think, that uh, every church that's faithful to Jesus should have pretty much the same mission. We should all, all the churches in the world should be on about pretty much the same thing. The mission that Jesus has given us, uh, for example, to make disciples of all nations. That Jesus has given that to all his people everywhere and that's our general kind of purpose. Or as the Apostle Paul says, to make the word of God fully known so that we can present everyone mature in Christ. We want everyone to ultimately to be able to be like Jesus, that that is the goal for human beings and so the goal for all of our churches. But churches can have and should have, in fact, different visions of what it means to be a church that makes disciples and helps people become like Jesus in different places in the world at different times. So our vision is what is it going to be, what is it going to mean for us to make disciples here in the inner north of Melbourne in 2016 and beyond. That's what we're thinking about and aiming for. And it will also have to do with who we are. What in particular we are equipped to do. What our gifts are, what our experiences are, what our passions are, what our resources are. Those kinds of things. What we're good at, what we're interested in. Those things will help us uh, to find a particular way to be God's church. The church serving Jesus in this place at this time. So really what I want to do today is not so much uh, think about that, but to think back to the purpose of Jesus himself. What was Jesus on about? And that will help us, I think, just to re, uh, rethink our vision and uh, have some, some ways of thinking about our vision, perhaps in fresh ways that come out of just going back to the source, going back to Jesus. And in this sense, going back to Jesus and learning from Jesus again is always about refreshing our vision. Uh, every, every sermon, every gathering that we have is about vision, really. And hopefully that's what we'll be contributing to today. Okay, so we're going to look at Matthew chapter 8. It's there in your booklet. It would be fantastic if you had that open. And just to look at the things that happen here as Jesus has this series of encounters. And there's three, three encounters that Jesus has then, plus a, a kind of summary that Matthew has of Jesus' ministry. So first of all, Jesus meets someone who is a leper. He has leprosy. Uh, perhaps not, strictly speaking, leprosy, Hansen's disease, uh, but something similar to that, some kind of skin disease, which means that basically he is marginalised completely within the society. So someone with this skin disease like this would have had to uh, live separately from other people. He would have had to wear kind of ragged clothes and have messed up hair and go around covering his face and when anyone came near he would have to say unclean unclean so that no one would get near 
So as you can imagine, this would separate him very much from other people. He wasn't allowed to go into any large city with walls around it. He wasn't allowed to go to the temple in Jerusalem. And so it's a, it's a social problem that he has. It's a physical problem, but it, and it's even a spiritual problem. It's all wrapped up together in this condition that he has. And you can imagine just how awful it would be. You have a look at that picture on the front. It's pretty vivid. Uh, the man with the skin disease and how wretched he looks uh, in that picture there. He comes to Jesus. Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus responds by doing something extraordinary, in fact. He reaches out his hand and he touches the man. And he says, I am willing. And he heals him. Now, we can see from the other stories here that Jesus is doing something that he does not need to do in order to heal him. He can heal at a distance. Uh, in fact, distance seems to be no problem at all in the, next, the, the very next story. So Jesus here is very deliberately doing something to reach out and to touch this man who would be considered, who was unclean. Jesus deliberately touches him and heals him. And Jesus says to him, uh, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and give the gift that Moses commanded. So in the gospel, very often Jesus tells people not to tell people about him. It's a secret for the moment. Uh, he doesn't want to bring on the crisis of people proclaiming him king too quickly. Uh, so he tells people not to say something. But there is something that this man must do in accord with the law of Moses. That is, if someone got healed of a skin disease or got better, then they needed to go and offer an offering uh, at the uh, at the temple and uh, show the priest that they were well again so that they could be declared clean. So Jesus really wants him to do the right thing and it's going to be a testimony. It will be a testimony, in fact, to Jesus and what he's done. That's the first encounter. What about the second one? Jesus goes to Capernaum. It's a city in Galilee. And there he uh, encounters a centurion. Now, we need to think about what this guy is. He is a representative of Roman power. He is the commander of a hundred soldiers, roughly. He's an army officer. He, he is the invader. He is the occupying force. And he also comes to Jesus. And from that position of power, actually, he presents himself very humbly to Jesus. He says, Lord, my servant lies at home, paralyzed, suffering terribly. And Jesus, again, offers to do something very surprising. Verse 7, shall I come and heal him? Jesus offers to come to this man's house. He's a Gentile, he's not a Jew. And yet Jesus offers to come to his home. Again, Jesus offering here to really cross a barrier that normally Jewish people would not cross. To come and eat with, uh, come, and come to the home of a Gentile. But actually the man has, uh, tells Jesus not to do that. And look at the reason. He says, for I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me I tell one go and he goes and that one come and he comes and I say to my servant do this and he does it he says say the word and my servant will be healed uh, this man understands the way authority works and I think that by and large we don't encounter authority that much in our lives in fact we do try to avoid authority wherever possible and just live 
within a, a kind of egalitarian society where we don't, no one bosses anyone else around, right? That's our kind of ideal, um, which, is, uh, which is a great kind of society to live in. But we do, we're familiar occasionally with authority. Usually it's our experiences at school uh, that inform our thinking about authority. So I don't know what your experiences were like, but uh, one thing I vividly remember from school was that now and then there would be fights. When I was in high school, there'd be fights. And uh, if anyone got in a fight, uh, everyone else would immediately gather around in great numbers and start chanting, fight, fight, fight. You, probably, you, you might not have had this. I don't know. Anyway, people coming from... Once, once there was a fight at our school and just people just gathered in huge numbers around the fight. But then one of the teachers, the PE teacher, a great big burly PE teacher, came striding into the middle of the crowd and he said, first of all, pointing at the two guys fighting, I'll have you and you, and this was the moment of genius, I'll have you and you and two others. The crowd instantly dispersed. <laughs> Even the thickest guys at our school could work out you could get in trouble for watching a fight as well as being in the fight. It was, a, it was a wonderful show of authority and everyone just left immediately. This soldier knows how authority works. He himself gets orders and he gives orders and those orders get carried out. And he understands that Jesus also has authority. Jesus can say to disease, go, and it goes. Jesus has authority over illness. Jesus has authority over disease. Uh, and Jesus uh, is amazed by this man and what he has to say here. Because look at what he says here. Verse 10, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, truly, I tell you, I have not found in, in, in Israel anyone in Israel with such great faith. Jesus has never met anyone with as much faith as this man. He's the most, faith, most faithful person that Jesus has ever met. And Jesus then kind of generalises uh, from the fact that it's a Gentile, it's a non-Jew who is showing the most faith in Jesus. Look at what he says here, verse 11. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus is surprised at this man's faith and he says, what this shows you is that people are going to come from all over the place to be part of God's kingdom. They're going to come from the east and the west, from everywhere, and be part of God's kingdom. What's Jesus talking about? Well, we need to remember what Jesus means by the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Uh, he's not actually talking about going to heaven, uh, but something else. He's talking about that situation that's going to come when God brings his rule into the world. When God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. When God puts everything in this world right the way that it should be. When God gets rid of every disease and heals every illness and wipes away every tear and even raises the dead to eternal life. When Jesus talks about the kingdom, he's talking about God's future, the future that God will bring into the world when he puts everything right. 
And what does Jesus say about that kingdom? It's not going to be just the people of Israel. It's not going to be just the people who God called in ancient times. So it will be people from all over the place. It will be people like this Roman. It won't just be Jews, but it will be Romans as well, and Greeks as well, and Persians, and Chinese, and Indians, and Americans, and Timorese, and Slovenes, and Arabs, and Mexicans, and Koreans. People from all over the place will come and be part of God's kingdom through faith in Jesus. This man understands Jesus' authority. He's responded to Jesus' authority. And Jesus says that he's headed for God's kingdom like many others. But Jesus warns that there will be people who you would have expected to be part of God's kingdom. I think here he's referring to the religious leaders in Israel. People who you would have expected to be part of God's kingdom will actually not be there. They'll be thrown out instead. The third encounter is with uh, Peter's mother-in-law. And uh, Jesus goes to Peter's house. Peter's mother-in-law is lying sick. And Jesus again does something unexpected and unusual. He reaches out his hand and he touches her. This was a society in which, generally speaking, men did not touch women that they weren't married to or in the same family as. Jesus reaches out and touches Peter's mother-in-law and she is healed. It seems like, and it's probably likely that it would have been a social shame for her to be unable to show hospitality to her visitors. And so when she's healed, immediately she gets up and she starts to serve Jesus. And then Matthew gives us a summary of Jesus' ministry. Lots of people are brought to Jesus. People who are possessed by demons, people who are sick. And it says, with a word, Jesus healed them and drove out the demons. And here's Matthew's summary of what Jesus was doing. Verse 17. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took our infirmities and bore our diseases. Matthew here is quoting from Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4. And let me read to you a little bit more about the next couple of verses in Isaiah 53. They may, they may be familiar to you. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. What's Matthew saying here? Well, if we go back to Isaiah... And Isaiah's prophecy, what was Isaiah promising to the people of Israel? He was saying that God is going to send his servant to rescue his people. God is going to send his anointed one, his servant. And this servant is actually going to rescue God's people by taking their diseases and their sins and their guilt upon him. This servant is going to serve the people by receiving from them all of their guilt all of their pain, all of their struggle, all of their suffering. This servant is going to take all that on himself. So what's Matthew saying here? That Jesus is that servant. Jesus is that servant that Isaiah promised. Jesus here is taking on the diseases and the infirmities of the people, taking away their, uh, their leprosy, taking away their paralysis, taking away their fever, so on, Jesus is taking all those things away here. 
But that gives us a, a clue and a key to understanding what Jesus is doing overall, that Jesus has come to take all these things away. And in the end, Jesus is going to die on the cross, taking away people's sin and guilt, taking that on himself as well. Jesus is going to take away the things that we suffer from in this world, the things that we're victims of. And Jesus is going to take away the things that we are perpetrators of, that we did, that we're responsible for. He's going to deal with the things that, the, the things that we're victims of and the things that we're responsible for as well. Jesus is going to take all that away and onto himself. So what do you get if you put all this together, what uh, Jesus says about what's going to happen and what Matthew says about Jesus here? Well, here's my summary of it. See if you agree. That Jesus came to bear our diseases so that we could be part of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus came to take away our diseases so that we could be part of God's kingdom. Well, if that's true, then uh, that's, of course, fantastic news for us. We see the possibility here of being part of God's kingdom. And the way to do that is to put our trust in Jesus. How does that help us to think about our vision as a church? Here are some thoughts about that. Have a look again on the back and you might, you'll see there the various elements of the vision. And it says, imagine a church community that cultivates an open and charitable dialogue about Jesus with the no religion tribes of Melbourne's inner north. Okay, so we're aiming to have a dialogue about Jesus with people. What kind of dialogue about Jesus might it be? There's a couple of things here about Jesus that I think it would be very helpful to introduce into that kind of discussion. First of all, to help people to think about and talk about what Jesus was actually on about. What do people out there think Jesus was on about? I'm not sure. You could ask them that question. That would be a good way to have a conversation. But I think a lot of people think that Jesus came to make us a little bit better, to make us a bit more religious to help us to have a greater commitment to God or something like that. But here we see something more, much more profound than that going on, that Jesus came to bear our diseases and take on our sin. We can have a discussion with people about what Jesus was actually doing. Similarly, we can talk with people about the ultimate goal of Jesus' ministry. What do people think Jesus was actually aiming for in the end? Is the purpose of Jesus to get more people to go to church? No. The purpose of Jesus is to bring more people into God's kingdom. To bring people to be part of God's eternal future. As we have a dialogue with people about the purpose of Jesus and what Jesus came to do, we can have that balance that's here in the in, uh, coming out of Isaiah... In talking about ourselves as victims and talking about ourselves as perpetrators. Because we need both, actually. We need to accept and understand that people in various ways are victims of this world and victims of sin in this world and victims of the struggle in this world. But also that we each in our own way contribute to what's wrong with the world as well. That will help a dialogue where we avoid, on one hand, being too self-righteous and encouraging self-righteousness and victimhood and on the other hand, avoiding a dialogue where we are not sympathetic to people in their struggles and their difficulties. It has to be both. 
The vision says that we want to be uh, a transformative presence. Imagine a church community that's dispersed in the neighbourhood like yeast in the dough. This part of the vision is really exciting. It comes you know, out of Jesus' parable of the yeast. And uh, one of the things that it tries to encourage us to do is to be dispersed within the, within the broader community. And what kind of presence will we be or will we need to be out there in the community if we are to be effective for Jesus? Well, I want you to notice one of the things that Jesus does here that he doesn't have to do is that he touch, reaches out and he touches the leper and he touches Peter's mother-in-law and he's willing to go and eat with and visit with the Gentile. That in various ways here, Jesus is showing mercy and crossing boundaries and taking the risk of becoming unclean himself for the sake of those other people. So the only way that we can really be effectively dispersed in the community is if we don't kind of withdraw and try and preserve our holiness and try and be a special people by separation from other people. That's not what Jesus is calling us to, but rather to be distinctive people who follow Jesus wholeheartedly and yet are connected to and associated with and living with and having community with all kinds of other people as well. It's a vision that one person called uh, a vision of soft difference. Not withdrawing like, you know, like the extreme option would be like the, uh, the Amish, right? It would be a community that's just totally separate, distinctive, really clearly distinctive, but totally separate. And on the other extreme, you have the problem of being completely integrated into our society and, not, and no different from people, just the same as everyone else. But the thing that Jesus shows us here is complete involvement in a community and yet that special difference that Jesus brings. Uh, it's a bit like uh, the old toilet paper commercial, do you remember? Uh, the kind of toilet paper that you really want is soft and strong. Soft and strong. This is what you need to be in the world if you want to be effective for Jesus. Soft, really not judging, but relating to other people well, blessing them, caring for them, but strong in your commitment to live Jesus' way and not the way of the world. Finally, nourishing spiritual seekers. Imagine a church that nourishes, a church community that nourishes spiritual seekers. What do we have to offer people who are spiritually seeking? Well, first of all, Jesus points us to the kingdom of heaven. It's the future that people are looking for, I think, whether they really know it or not. And the benefit of talking about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is that it actually connects with what people really love about this world. People live in this world and they love things about this world and they're right to love things in this world, but they're wrong to settle for the world the way that it is now. And Jesus points us beyond the way that the world is now to what the world can be and should be and will be in God's mercy. A world that's put right. A world where there is real justice and mercy and people live face to face with God. We have something to point people to who are spiritual seekers that is connected to their current experience but which is so much better. 
Also, we live in a world where people are seeking real leadership. People are seeking spiritual leadership. But we live in an age of cynicism about leadership. And surely this United States election coming up is going to increase our cynicism about leadership even more. But we have to offer spiritual seekers a leader, a king, an anointed one, who takes on our sufferings and our diseases and our sins, who is a servant for our sake. We have the greatest leader of all. We have the perfect leader to offer to spiritual seekers who are cynical about leadership. So Jesus comes with a purpose, to bring people into God's kingdom by his own suffering for our sake. It's a great and wonderful message, and I think it inspires a wonderful vision for our church. Why don't we pray that we can be more and more that church? Let's pray. We thank you, Heavenly Father, so much for sending your son, for sending your servant. And we thank you that Jesus has borne our diseases and our infirmities and our guilt. We pray that as we respond to him and as we follow Jesus in the world, as your spirit works in our lives, that we would truly be a church which does the things that are in our vision here, which is able to present Jesus to this world in a kind and merciful and charitable way. We want to pray this so that many more people might come to know about him, that they might share in your eternal kingdom. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.